Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Summer Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Yeah, hello. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello. I'm very gay and very happy. We are talking today Supernova, which is in cinemas now. It's gay and not happy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I agree well, one, one time gay used to mean happy, so there you go. It's still it, a it, synonym for happy, yeah, among yeah. other things. Anyhow, um, the other, we're, we're also talking about final Oscars predictions, what should win and what will win with the Oscars next week. Yeah, uh, that's not going to make us happy. No. So gay tends not to mean happy in, in movies, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Definitely, we'll yeah, definitely, We'll discuss that when we get to Supernova. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but first, we're just talking briefly news of the week. The Sydney World Film Festival is ongoing at the Ritz in Randwick, where we will be going afterwards. We'll be checking out that in a moment. Fantastic Film Festival. Yeah, Fantastic Film Festival is ongoing. We are catching a glitch in the Matrix tonight. You can also catch, as part of Fantastic Film Festival Australia on the 22nd, a co-event with Static Vision, who have their own festival coming up. The Sydney Science Fiction Film Festival, another co-event, lapses screening on the 26th. And as has gotten some coverage in the press today, in the past couple of days, a screening of Patrick, the first of its kind in Australia. There has been a screening like this in Israel, apparently, but not in Australia, where you can attend in your birthday suit as it is billed. And that's on the 25th on Anzac Day, if you're not playing two up. Uh, <laughs> Spanish Film Festival Australia opened last night and is now screening at Pal Cinemas around the country. If you're around Coffs Harbour, ScreenWave is ongoing. The Human Rights Australia Film Festival is screening online from tomorrow. Philmonic Melbourne, uh, for the Melbourne's film collective, I Like Kino Sydney, have an event screening on Sunday following a weekend of filmmaking. And as discussed, the second monthly sequel-a-thon is happening next Tuesday at the Chippewa Hotel, where you can submit a film and which will be voted on to be sequelized next month. Now, the other big film news of the week, outside of the festival circuit, aside from the Shang-Chi and the Net trailers, one of which we're very excited about and one of which we're not very excited about. Yeah, uh, Annette looked like a typical Leos Carax film, so amazing. And uh, Shang-Chi looked like a typical Marvel Cinematic a sub, Universe A film. subpar Marvel film, I'd say. What, like Ant-Man? It can't, can't get much more subpar than Marvel in like a sequel to the movie. No one really cared that much about the first time mode, like Thor 2 or Ant-Man and the Wasp. I mean, you can get Tony Leung and still waste him in a thankless dad role. So there you go. You know, it, it's not a director who has ever shown um, a flair for massive spectacles. They always get these Sundance directors who they can bully around and get them to, you know, make the film that checks the boxes and that's it. Also, like, Aquafina is now playing the same role in everything. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've She's being told to cash in now, I bet, <laughs> by our agent. You know, take it all these roles as a sidekick. She looks like she's actually the best performer in this movie and doesn't sound anything like a much better film she made last year, The Farewell, which we covered. But, hey, they've uh, disguised Sydney pretty well, haven't they? Yeah, we're going to be doubling for everything now yeah. uh, because all the Hollywood stars are flying out here. Um, which is the other big news of the week, that Mad Max, the sequel, is the biggest film production ever take place both in New South Wales and Australia. That seems very strange to me. It does that, seem strange that, to me. I, but it's, it's, been, look, look, it, it's been alternately reported that it's the biggest film production in New South Wales and Australia. It is true for at least New South Wales. Australia, I would but question. You know what's been made in New South Wales? Matrix 2 and 3, Star Wars 2 and 3, Shang-Chi, um, Thor 4... So th apparently they're throwing more money at a Mad Max Fury Road prequel than all of those. 
As much as I love that film, I'm not sure that that's a wise business investment. Don't get me wrong. I don't care. If, if uh, they want to give $500 million to George Miller and say, go nuts, and yeah, I'll, I'll buy five tickets, The please. reported statistics are that it will generate 850 local jobs and uh, generate $350 million in revenue. And just to point out, whenever a government says, hey, it's generating local jobs, let's make a distinction between transitory, um, temporary work and long-time consistent work. Very essential. Well, for the most part on a film production, it's all transitory anyway. But it is also important to establish long-term, sustainable, ongoing employment in these industries. That's true. But um, you know, maybe Marvel Studios coming in, as we discussed in previous weeks, could help us with that because yes, it's a freelance-driven industry. But um, on the subject of the Mad Max, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the desert ends up looking in this one because uh, Miller chose to shoot in Namibia for the most part. Instead chose of- is a strong word. Instead of Australia, because of climate change-related troubles last time, it was either dry, perfect, or too green right when they were about to go into production. So uh, this time around, COVID has meant that there's no choice to shoot overseas. Um, that Miller is shooting back-to-back now that he's locked down in Australia. He was going to do a epic in uh, Istanbul and London, um, as well as Sydney, called 3,000 Years of Longing. Due to COVID, that's turned into an entirely set-based Sydney shoot. So hopefully that film wasn't too compromised. But anyway, as soon as he finishes working on that, he's rolling straight into making Furiosa. The guy is 76, and he is just not stopping. Make, good, good yeah, making up for lost time, I guess, because he has a pretty pretty spare filmography, but he still seems full of energy. Would this be the oldest director to ever take on a massive a, a project of this scale? Probably. Probably. I think I think so. And I think uh, the reason why New South Wales or the government is going so hard on it is they're catching on the Australian connection with Chris Hemsworth as well. So they want it to be billed as an Australian production. Mm. Fury Road was very much an Australian production. Despite having a lot of Hollywood funding, that was a mostly Australian crew. And uh, all post-production done in Australia. And you know what? We've had a lot of films recently filming uh, in around in around Broken Hill. Children of the Corn was filmed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great that um, Will is going to be sending out there like he's in, like in the 80s and absolutely yeah. blowing up the local economy. They used the Western Australian desert for Thunderdome and that looked really good. So we'll see if, if Broken Hill can <laughs> perform as well. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super keen. I've traveled out to Broken Hill a few times the last few years and I know they're itching for something like this and I'm actually keen to go out and visit if I can during the production and just see it's going to be like every every Sunday is going to be a Civilton Sunday. Great local reference for anyone who's yeah. been out that way. Glenn has uh, personal motivations to visit the production set, not just film related, but yeah. Yeah, Glenn loves Broken Hill and travel within New South Wales is all, is all I've been able to do the past year. Sure, sure. There's another, another thing. Something I, that brings him a lot of joy. Not related to Anya Taylor. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what you mean at all. Um, anyhow, you're listening to Film Fight Club. You're listening to a stalker, Glenn Falkenstein. <laughs> if you see this man, run. This isn't live, is it? <laughs> Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. So, and Chris Evans and Front Nehru, the next thing we're talking about is the Oscars. Uh, next week, we'll be giving our breakdown, following our breakdown, following watching the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. And um, look, I, I'm going to keep beating this drum because, you know, next week I won't be able to angst about it anymore. But the one thing that will make me break down is if Promising Young Woman wins Best Picture. I, I'm going to say it won't. I'm going to say there's not going to be an upset. I think Nomadland's going to win. I think Nomadland's going to win. If the film is going to upset it, it's going to be this. Okay. 
uh, I will then hedge my bets and say Nomadland is not going to win. It's not Oscar worthy. It's not Oscar Oscar baby film. It's too. It's almost too subtle. Uh, Nomadland. Yeah. You don't think it'll win? What do you think will win? Promising Young Woman. I'm. I'm. I'm going. I'm. I'm I don't very think they're sure. going to reward a first time director. Well, rem- mm. Uh, no, I think you're right that Nomadland's subtlety could mean that it doesn't appeal so much because there haven't been many films that are as least sensationalized as that that have gone all the way to win Best Picture. But yeah. Promising Young Woman, despite having the political side down, despite having uh, a lot of momentum and a lot of support, clearly, I think features material that's probably too upsetting for some of the old people oh, totally. that are voting for the Oscars as well. So that so maybe But at the same time, my, my safe bet is Trial of Chicago Seven. Um, no, I that's, don't think that so. would be I, so I, funny. No, I, I think look, if it I wins. think there's gonna be a critical mass of people voting for best picture who are just turned up not by the just simply the material, but by its treatment thereof, for reasons we've discussed extensively in weeks past. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think Trial of Chicago Seven's gonna win. I think it's just too generic. Every year there's a very, it's very so generic, generic film. It's it, a I, generic Sorkin and a generic Oscar. Yeah, I had a rank. I ranked my top in the eight best picture winners. Trial of Chicago 7 was eighth. Promising Woman was seventh, notably. Um, then it went Mank, Judicial Black Messiah, The Father, Minari, Sound of Metal, and Nomadland. You know, I, 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 I'd be happy if Sound of Metal or Nomadland, either of those two win. I think those I are the I best. I don't think Sound of Metal is going to have a shot. It's too much so. of an outside I t- Too subtle, um, too actually good. No, for me, I think <laughs> yeah. Nomadland, I'm a square. Nomadland's probably my favorite of them, but that would be followed by Sound of Metal. Um, and then... I mean, don't get me wrong. I want, I want these two to win. Either of those two, I'll yeah. be happy, but I'm not sure these two are going to win. So that's why I'm thinking what will win versus what I want to win. Your, so. your reasoning makes sense. To be honest, now that we've seen all the films, apart from me thinking you know, a few of them stand out, they're all about as good as each other, except um, for me, Promising Young Woman was terrible. The rest of them is just a massive kind of mediocrity. Like... When I say mediocrity, but they're still good. They're just like that slight. They're like they're all like perfect three star films. They're all just like With slightly. The the, the, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're all slightly above good. Slightly above average, me, leaning into good. Me, Nomadland is above the rest of them. All I agree. The others, Nomadland is a good film. All, all, all a lot of the others. Let's take out Trial of Chicago Seven for a moment. Just have basic scripting problems. Yeah. Um, within Promising Young Woman, I'd argue Mank, and to an extent, Judas the Black Messiah. It's endemic throughout a lot of the film, and this is Trial of Chicago Seven which is just pure generic um bang that drum you're gonna love this because you're on the side of this movie and the characters therein it'd be funny if mank wins because there was initially a lot of hype and then they all tied down and mank kind of became an outside chance yeah but mank it, seems it to was a front runner not too to long ago just for because it had to get nominated no one's passionate about mank you know yeah. Going back to rewind, but it's, it's a movie about the movies, and, and you know, the Academy loves it. I really wonder if the d- debate that we had uh, a few months ago about um, Orson Welles and uh, is this movie trashing Orson Welles, David Fincher trashing Orson Welles. I really wonder if that if that actually worked and and killed the movie. I saw at the time I saw a few people say, you know, it's funny that this is becoming what all the talk is about because. Um, the movie's not really about Orson Welles, it's about Mank. But, you know, now that a few months have gone past and we've all basically forgotten Mank, I kind of think, like, yeah, it's actually great that everyone rallied around to tell David Fincher to shut the hell up. Um, you know, it's it's damaging if this film has a, has a big legacy. It's going to keep this myth that hurt Orson Welles going forever. And at the end of the day, that matters more than some failed Oscar bait. So I'm fine I, I with mean, it. 
I think it's an outside chance. It might be the dark horse that might win because it's a movie about the movies and I the think Academy loves it, even though it doesn't care about outside opinion. Honestly, I think those safe votes are going to trial of the Chicago 7. Yeah, <laughs> that's, not Mac. That, that's, that's what I'm afraid of. Afraid of, but I feel I Mac a is still a better film. And the father, because of the talent involved. No, and because, maybe. But the father, because of the talent involved. Minari, because of the archetypal American story. Like, of all these films, Minari is actually the archetypal American myth story that usually does incredibly well at the Oscars, even though it may not immediately appear as so. Um, um, the, Minari might might win because after Parasite we have Minari is too low key and it's not a lot of momentum it needed momentum going into the season it did at the very beginning it doesn't have that now and Pop Goes Promising Woman and Nomadland um, turning to some of the other awards categories um, screenplay also for screenplay I think Nomadland will win and while I think Minari should win I think Promising Young Woman will win best original screenplay Mm, I think you're right. Um, I, th- I think it's going to win that <laughs> instead of winning Best Picture. I think It'll win. Be- I think you're completely right in Best Original Screenplay, but I think um, Minari is probably in it with a chance because it's so good. M- Minari's but- screenplay was better, and I also say it's the, very the, classical. The, and the, met- in, the metaphor. Like, all the people who are voting probably love and very possibly met John Steinbeck. Mm. Yeah, and also the metaphor was probably well the best delivered out of all the. You know, on the nose metaphors in all the films. So we see adapted screenplay to Nomadland. I'd say so. I'm thinking the father. It's doesn't didn't require too much of an adaptation. What, it what was very it, direct. Well, maybe, what? but you know, there was a there was a co-writer as well involved as uh, to Florian Zeller. So maybe there was more done. Than I, th- I, think. I, I think there's going to be it's going to be given to skill in changing to the form, and the form by design did not merit. Major adaptation. I think they're going to give it to someone who, by necessity of the style, had to put in more effort. Mm. You know, uh, it's a bad year when they nominate Milan for visual effects. Oh God! So turning to some of the actors, I think Hopkins should win for this role. But I think Riz Ahmed will. No, you know I, think I think I'll flip it. I'll say Hopkins will win. Ahmed should win. I uh, yeah. reading some other people's predictions. I came across a thought that didn't seem to occur to all of us, which is that it's obviously going to Chadwick Boseman because it's the RIP award. We haven't seen Marini's back. No. Yes. Very possible. The outpour, it's like like whenever and it's a posthumous award, they have it in the bag. When was the last but, time the posthumous actor did not win in their nomination? But it's... You haven't, have you seen Marini's Black Bottom? I haven't watched it yet, so I shouldn't comment so much. But apparently it is a big performance. It is very much an acting showpiece. He's a very good actor. He is very good. And there was a huge outpouring of grief when he died. I feel like he's going to win. Uh, and it's going to rob Hopkins. I feel sad. If, if anything, if it, for any role, I'd say Hopkins deserved for this one. Well, Hopkins is great, fantastic in this film, but, but he's won and he's such an Academy darling. That's already. right. I, to be honest, I feel like it's it's just a shame because otherwise this probably would be Riz Ahmed's moment. And I think people might feel yeah. Ahmed's time is still upon him. He still has many more films than But he a lot doesn't of other necessarily actors. because he, he doesn't often get the chance to have a really big commanding role like this. Which yeah. is, which is I agree, it would be sad if he isn't appropriately recognised for a very good performance. Yeah, um, um, supporting role. Kaluuya, I think, should win. But I don't know if he will. Stanfield just might take it. But, you know, you can see the category fraud here because I would say <laughs> even though Stanfield is the framing device and driving the narrative and the audience identification figure as we get into the Black Panthers, I would say Kaluuya is the lead. I feel like he was driving the story much more than, than Lakeith well, Stanfield's character. Who would you nominate for Best Actor? Jesse Plenum's in this movie? No, I would say Kaluuya in but Best That's what actor. I'm saying. They haven't nominated. There's no... Clemens is no supporting. eligible for Best Actor, according to Clemens should be supporting, yeah. Clemens should absolutely be supporting. He was very good. Um, but Lakeith Stanfield in supporting makes sense to me. 
even though he he does some things that a protagonist usually does, I think you could convincingly argue that the focus switches over to Kaluuya. Agreed. And um, you should be nominated in the other category. I'm turning to Best Actress. I think Olivia Coleman should win, but honestly, Glenn Close might take it. I know. Finally? Really? No. But it, it, it's nothing to do with the film. It's just Glenn Close. It's her, it's, the, she's, it's, DiCaprio in 20, it's DiCaprio in 2015. Granted, The Revenant is a much better film, but they may just give it to her. After I hope it's not, she's not, done. not for that film. I think there's a good chance that Yu Zhang Yun gets it for Minari. Po- yeah. Oh, yes, true? yeah. I mean, that, it's, yeah, she's the character that everyone comes away from that film thinking about. I'd, I'd want, that's the one I'd want, but I'm not sure. Coleman deserves it. Um, how do, but she won't win it. No, neither will Maria Bakalova, but how funny would it be if she won? I mean, she's, good. Borat, she's, Borat she's, she's one of the better good. performers in that category. Yeah. I'm saying that over Glenn Close. To be yeah. honest, there's, it's, it's, a sh- it's a pretty weak category this time around. It's a shame that you need to push it really hard and, you know, as a political thing to gather a nomination because often there are people involved in comedy films that present fantastic performances and don't get recognition, but because there was the, the angle that Borat 2 is somehow an important film, she was able to sneak in. It was this, it was the surprise, oh, this is actually a good film. Um, lastly, directing, I think Zhao should win. I think she will win. Uh, yeah, I think Zhao has it in the bag. Um, I think they will be happy to award it to a woman of colour who is also a very good director. And just made the best film in the category. She does actually deserve it as well. But the thing is, deserving it doesn't usually mean you win. Uh, It's just that in this case, everything lines up for her. And I have to note, another round is nominated in this category. It could win Best Foreign Film. It's the only foreign film I've seen in that category. It absolutely will win Best Foreign Film. People love the film. It's a very open-hearted, audience-pleasing movie. Um, but Which Man- means it'll win Best Foreign Film rather than Best Director. But it would be awesome if he won. I thought he directed it, another round very well. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's and a much more I difficult do, film to I direct. I do mm. prefer Zhao's direction over Vintenberg's, mm. but I would not begrudge him winning in any given year. For cinematography, do you think we'll they'll recognize the black and white in Mank? I think it's going to be Nomadland. No, I, thought, I hope it's Nomadland. Nomadland cinematography is good, but man, to pass over so many Malik movies and then give <laughs> the cinematography award to Nomadland, to me, is just the, the deep irony of the way the Oscars work. Anyway. It's the Academy Awards. We're, yeah. We'll bemoan it next week. So that is the Oscars. <laughs> we sure <laughs> will. Yeah, yeah we will. <sighs> well, we'll be wrong about everything and they'll be like, ha. Ah. Yeah. No. And well, everything will be won by a promising young woman. That's, that's why we do a sh- should win and will win. Okay, my last pre-Oscars rant, just to, to get this out of the way. If Promising Young Woman wins Best Picture, it's going to be like Crash 2. It's going to be one of those things that in five or ten years, once we're outside of this zeitgeist, everyone's going to look at this film and see how ridiculously, embarrassingly dated and out of time it is and have put their face in their hands and, and writhe about it on film Twitter. Anyway, we'll see. People are already doing that, but then, you know. Yeah, the backlash is starting. Woo, woo. So that is the Oscars. Um, we will be great. I'm sure we'll become promising women in the months to come as uh, <laughs> things devolve. <laughs> as the situation disintegrates. Uh, disintegrates. So, <laughs> next film we're covering on, and this is a film Fuck Club 2 SCR, is Supernova. It is in cinemas now. It is a new film from Colin, from Harry McQueen. McQueen, sorry. I, so, yes, Harry McQueen. It is starring Colin Firth as Sam and Stanley Tucci as Tusker. It is about um, a couple played by Firth and Tucci where Tucci's character has um, dementia and there is a concern that his mental state is deteriorating and it is about a journey they take to a family gathering and decisions that both individuals individually and collectively have to make about their individual lives and their life together. Now, um, 
there's a lot to say about this. But just as a really, to be honest, going in, I thought like yeah. I, I felt nothing from this film. Oh my god, thank you, thank yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, that's because the whole movie is about making me cry. But I felt nothing. It's, it's just so. This is such a British and, and stoic film where yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. is. There's nothing wrong with being stoic. If stoicism is a character flaw, or if it uh, shows how the characters are poorly relating to each other, they're cool. But that's not what was happening here. It just meant restrained, Look, rather in, than emphatic. In retrospect, the, the first warning sign was how it opens with like tinkly, tasteful piano music. Uh, it, it's very, it's very manipulative. Uh, no, actually, this is one of the better parts of not the, la- the later editions of piano, where they are imperfect, and we're not going to ruin anything. But it reminds me of a great bit in two thousand and one, where there's the chess scene, where anyone who is uh, very skilled at chess, or even relatively skilled at chess, would see that the computer had made an obvious mistake, and therefore that it was um, devolving. And they reminded me a little bit of how they play with music in this film. It's one of the better efforts. There are a few. Uh, we talked about metaphors earlier. There's a big fat one at the oh center of this God, movie, yeah. and they they spell it and out. It's for and it's, it's in like, the title. It's like it's Minari. Um, but yeah, that you know the thing about the big metaphor in this is that it doesn't illuminate anything. It's just there because oh, this is what good writers do. I guess I better put a big no. metaphor to show that I'm serious. And, and you know what? A similar metaphor or just ide- ideation was used in The Lion King, where they talk about people's <laughs> gas in the sky. But you know what? That led into the idea of the circle of life and how we are all one and how we have a bigger role to play. So there, it was relevant. Here, it is not. Here, it just kind of sounds cool. This Important film is just completely static. All right. Um, the I, I shouldn't say like all right. Like I'm telling you how it is. Yeah, you're not, you will you will agree you with will, my take <laughs> on the film. No, but, I mean yeah, most likely you probably but, will. But when I say that it's completely static, okay. So Tucci um, is is experiencing dementia, right? Rapid rapidly increasing um, onset rapid dementia. onset dementia. Yeah, yeah. but uh, we don't really get a sense of it in this film, even though it's at a fairly advanced stage. Yeah, um, because you know it. Would have been better served if we had been able to see some contrasts in his behavior. But this guy is really incredibly good at hiding how apparently far this is advanced because he, outside of big telegraphed big moments that show how much he's struggling, he seems to function as he normally does in his relationship with with yeah. uh, Sam. Like there's no distinction that this guy's falling apart until it's like it's time for the, the moment where we reveal that in a big dramatic beat. Um, and without that contrast, it's hard for me to feel much from it. I think it goes deeper than that. It's the simple problem that, look, we don't spend enough time with any of these characters. It's a 97-minute movie. could have been two hours. But more than we don't feel anything from him, there's only actually one character in this with a sustained and proper arc. And it's not the Stanley Tucci character. And to get an idea of this relationship and this dynamic, we really need to know a little about both of them, what they were experiencing. And I think the arc of someone who is going through this, um, from a procedural perspective, we were treated to, it would have been really interesting, but we're not. What we are treated to is Colin Firth's arc. And I liked um, what we got to learn about him, but it's in such short supply and really comes in only at the end of the second act third act of the film, by which point most of the movie is already far done. I think the problem of this film is that it's so badly written. Mm. I mean, the dialogue is stunted. And these are not things that I would actually imagine anyone speaking in real life. And everything is either heightened into an emotional kind of crescendo, or it is underlying something, which I we can show not tell. But like the dialogue basically reinforces that. 
And I'm just like, do people actually talk like this, where it, you were just spelling everything out? It feels like a screenplay made into a title. <laughs> Probably, because the film failed to really hit at any deep point with me. But yeah. I didn't so much have an issue with the dialogue as I did with this kind of stasis that it's going through. I think if you've watched any films or read books about dementia and euthanasia, everything that happens in this film is just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. There aren't really any points that hit deeply um, that feel like there's... And I don't know what Harry McQueen's experience is. I'm, I'm not the, right. I, I'm not trying to speak to his experience simply for what the what we receive in the film. But to me, it never hit at that point where this feels like this is a personal detail or this this is getting at something deeper that I haven't already seen dramatized or I didn't already know about this subject. Um, and that that's the, the major reason why it, it failed to be moving for me. There is one particular scene that actually kind of felt emotionally resonant was where Sam's character has to read out something while Tucci's character looks on. That was the best and, scene in the film. And, that, yeah, that and that's, that's probably the only scene where there's an emotional connect because the characters are not speaking. They are actually mm. sort of receiving and responding to each other. Yeah. There's not enough of that. And the, pro- the problem with this is that by design, so much of what the character's uh, dispositions are removed. When they actually have to express themselves... Um, that's fine, and we learn a lot more. But the bits where it was moved, you are supposed to be able to I, get an idea across by intimation or by performance. But so much of this film either obscures that, both in the writing or in the cinematography, where it's dark, and we want to learn so much more about them, but we literally can't see them or glean what is going on. And there's, I think, a design behind this, which I think is fundamentally flawed, but which I'll get into in a moment. I didn't find the cinematography too dark, but I did find it too boring. Um, this film could have been a play and many films could be a play in the sense that you could adapt it to a play but I say this could have been a play because it didn't do anything cinematic they go on a uh, road trip to these picturesque locations in England but aside from a few establishing shots nothing is done with this these locations they're never used to say anything about the mind state of the characters yes filming inside a, a caravan is harder to make cinematic but the lack of anything beyond the most perfunctory use of the camera in this really lets it down. I agree. I mean, and that's part of the problem where, apart from these two characters, which do a lot of heavy lifting, and they're very good, I'm not saying that the performances are bad, but they are, I would say... In a, in a, that good. It wouldn't lose me... Uh, it wouldn't lose anything for just being on a stage. And the performances were good, but as yeah. you say... That you know, they had to be good because that's that's all there is in the film. You can only rise above a certain material so much. Exactly. But, and the thing with this material is this sort of script. It's not just very standard. It's the sort of screenplay that you see churned out and at festivals. You'll see six of these types of films at festivals throughout the year. This is only getting attention because two very well-known actors have, have jumped on it. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, this film you wouldn't have been hearing this film. And fair enough because you know, there are so many of it like its kind. Uh, so just on the matter of how we perceive these characters, um, something we talked about baby teeth earlier in last year where what was I think very good about it is that it found and I'm I always make an argument for this that it found power in the particular a lot of stories try to resonate by being broadly relevant or trying to be broadly relate to people but baby teeth was about a very particular circumstance and therefore was more powerful I think anyone who's gone through more personal anything like this even if they can't relate to a particular character or character's experience character circumstance will find power in something that is very personal and and something that is very and it's something that is unique whereas this is by design trying to be generic and relatable to everyone unlike say a film like the father which told a 
very particular Specific. circumstance and it was much better and I think the film would have been so much better if it went into so much more detail on individual characters individual experiences which it didn't I mean I mean, the father is a very good comparison because first that also feels like a plane in, in many sense of the word but also still did the, more with the camera despite yeah, having been born camera, from a plane be, because uh, from a dementia angle it basically dives into dementia and how you interact with that much better than this film does mm. if the film didn't tell me this character had dementia I would not believe but it. But like I said earlier, it just tells you in the big moments. So we And because the character's so good at hiding his condition, we don't get a sense of really what's being lost. We're just being told that by the screenplay. If it was going to, to be in this condensed um, timeline, either we needed to be shown more in terms of the day-to-day, how things are changing for him, or we needed flashbacks or something because it's crying out for some kind of contrast to give us a sense of how the relationship's changing. That's the main subject of the film, but it's, it's lacking in... Also, uh, psychologically, psychologically, you know, if you basically told me why this character is hiding, you know, why why is that important for him? But we never get that. Mm. That's it's, the it's like a basic, a basic thing that would make the film better. Last thing, uh, Virat kind of raised this point when he had seen the film before us last week. So many sad queer narratives. I'm not saying you can't do them, but when <laughs> yeah. are we going to see, I guess Happiest Season came out last year, but when yeah. are we going to see a positive, uh, not tragic queer story get major attention? Yeah. Right, Love, Love Simon. Simon. Love Simon. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> Which, and that's... apparently there's a TV series about it too. But yeah, big, big dramas, they have to be about the doom of being, an, even if subtextually it becomes about like queer tragedy, even if that wasn't the intended point. So Supernovas and Cinemas now. We're going to be back next week talking all things Oscars breakdown. Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin. This has been Glenn Fowles and Chris Evans of Rotten Nehru. Check out Fantastic Film Festival Australia. Um, check out Sydney World Film Festival. Many others. Have a safe night and enjoy movies. Good night. Bye-bye.